If you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Luke. We're in chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one. It's page 857 if you're in that particular Bible. Um, if you need a Bible uh, that you can take home with you, feel free to grab one of those and take it home with you. It's a good translation. It'll be our gift to you. We are in, uh, as you know, the season of Advent. Uh, if you've been around here for the past few weeks, uh, you know that we're in this kind of season of Advent. Uh, if, if you didn't grow up around Advent or it's all still pretty new to you, uh, this is a season in which we pause, we kind of concentrate on four particular themes. We do so for a reason, uh, to uh, interrupt us, if you will, and make us think hard about the meaning of Christmas uh, and the meaning of Advent, this anticipation of the arrival of Jesus here on the earth. And to do so, uh, we kind of symbolically light these candles. Um, and, and in doing so, what we're doing is just giving ourselves a visual prompt, if you will, for all these themes. And, and so w- with each of the themes this year in particular, we've kind of assigned, we've been talking about it in terms of Christmas music. And so we've assigned, if you will, a lyric um, to, to each of these. And so uh, the first candle that we lit uh, three weeks ago, th- Sundays ago, pow! look at that, it worked, um, was the candle of hope. And the, the lyric, if you will, that we assigned uh, and were if you, singing along with, uh, along with the candle of hope, was, is up there on the screen, that God's faithfulness fuels our hope. God's faithfulness fuels our hope. If he was faithful then, he'll be faithful now. If he was faithful there, he'll be faithful here. If he was faithful to them, he'll be faithful to us. And it's not necessarily that all the promises that were made to the people of Israel in the Old Testament back then in a different land on a different continent in a different millennium, uh, that those are the same promises today. Some of them carry over, that's for sure. But the fact that God was faithful to every one of those promises is great fuel for our hope that he will be faithful to every one of the promises that he's made to you and to me. We have a lot of great promises to hold on to, and God's going to be faithful to those. And so do you know of anybody who needs hope today? I mean, anybody know of anybody, especially in this time of year, might need some hope? Good news. There's fuel for that hope. And what is that fuel? It is that God is faithful. Uh, The second candle uh, that we lit uh, was the candle of peace. This sense of shalom, this sense of uh, wholeness and rightness uh, about the world. When the angel came to the shepherds after scaring them, just completely out of their wits. Uh, he, he said, hey, listen, uh, there's good news of great joy. And here, here's the deal. It, this, is a, this is a word of peace to you. It's a word of shalom. It's a word of wholeness and well-being um, to you and to those who are on the earth. And the, the lyric that we um, gave to this, to this song, if you will, is that peace is a byproduct a focus on God. When we concentrate and put our focus on God instead of on our circumstances or the problems that we're facing or the strain in our relationships or whatever, it's not necessarily that those strains or that circumstance or that problem, it's not that they necessarily go away. Sometimes they do. Glory to God for that. But it's that those things are then put in proper perspective because we see God for who he is. All of the rest of the stuff gets seen for what it is. And it's not near as big or as important or hairy or scary or anything else as as incredible as God is. And so peace is a byproduct of focus on God. So uh, the encouragement out of that was no matter what you're facing, you keep your eyes on Jesus. Peace then, as it says, will guard your hearts and minds. The third candle that we lit 
was the candle of joy. The, the candle of joy, um, the lyric that we assigned to that was that um, joy spreads or expands as the kingdom comes. Joy expands as the kingdom comes. Last week we looked at Mary's song and how as Mary experienced the kingdom coming into her life, joy started exploding in her heart and her heart could not contain it, so it overflowed, right? And so you had all this uh, uh, stuff that came out of her. First was a, a song about how God had worked in her life and then she starts thinking, and it's not just in my life, God's been faithful to generation and after generation after generation. In fact, he's faithful to this entire world and so joy just exploded uh, in her heart and it, it has that way of expanding and expanding and expanding and when we encounter the kingdom, the joy expands in our life and oftentimes envelops uh, those who are around us and they get caught up in that story, which by the way, that's exactly the plan, right? That is the plan, that we would be such a joyful people that it expands and just catches people up in the wave of what God's doing in our life. And today, we get to light the candle of love, the fourth candle of Advent is the candle of love. And if there's a lyric if you, to go along with the this text that we're going to look at today, it would go something like this, uh, that the rhythm of love is receiving and sacrificing. Oftentimes when we talk about love, we talk about it almost, nah, I won't say almost exclusively, but we often talk about it in terms of receiving. I'll just give you a brief example. Yesterday I went to the zoo because it was like 90 degrees or whatever it was yesterday. Um, we went to the zoo and uh, Herman Park there, uh, got done with the zoo, everybody was hungry, walked out to the little train station area and the little cafe that's right there beside that, uh, ordered a hamburger. They have hamburgers on sweet sourdough buns. Now, anybody with me, sweet sourdough? I am never eating another hamburger if it's not on sweet sourdough, people. And I'm sitting there eating a hamburger, and I'm thinking to myself, this is a really great hamburger. I... What did I say? I love this hamburger, right? Most of the time when we talk about love in our world today, we talk about consumption. We talk about receiving. But when it comes to the rhythm of biblical love, of God's kind of love, and of the love that we're to show um, to one another, there's a, there's a give and a take. There's a push and a pull. There's a receiving and a sacrifice. So the rhythm of love biblically is this receiving and sacrifice. And we're going to look at this um, song today from a guy named Simeon. And we're going to see this actually over about four different groups where we'll receive, where, excuse me, where we will see receiving and sacrificing as part of this rhythm, uh, as part of this rhythm of love. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 22, we'll start there. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, <clears throat> waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, 
that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child uh, is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts, uh, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So this rhythm of love, receiving and sacrificing, again, over kind of four groups. Let's just take a survey and see if we can see it. The first group that I want to look at is Joseph and Mary. Uh, Joseph and Mary, um, they, boy, they had, they had received, and they had received quite a bit. I mean, they, they're showing up to the temple um, for, for two reasons. One, uh, to redeem the firstborn, which is an Old Testament carryover from Exodus, and to offer a, uh, a sacrifice for or purity. Um, after childbirth. And so they're bringing Jesus there. They're going to do kind of all of this thing at once. Uh, and so they're showing up to do that. And here's the deal on that. that They had received, um, I mean, an incredible amount of stuff had happened in their life already. Angel shows up, talks to Mary, hey, you're going to have a son. Uh, okay, all right, seems like a good plan. Let's just see how this all shakes out. Um, Hey, time to go to Bethlehem, uh, register there, all that kind of stuff. She has a baby. Shepherds show up, crash the party. Stinky men in the labor and delivery ward. You know how that goes, moms, all you moms who've been there. Like that just, that was weird, okay? I mean, they did, but they had, they had all of this stuff that they had received. An angelic visit, divine guidance, confirmation from humans, all of this stuff. The main thing that they had received, though, was a son. They had received not just... A son, but the son, the son of promise, the son of God, the one who had come. And so they, they come to the temple and they're, and they're bringing this. And when they had received their son, what did they do? They worshiped via sacrifice, with this sacrifice in obedience to God. So verse 24, um, and don't, don't miss this, to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. And then excuse me, back in verse 23, as it is written in the law of the Lord. They were being obedient to what God said, and they were doing so to offer this sacrifice. And when they came uh, specifically uh, to offer this sacrifice of purity, what, what did they bring? They brought two turtle doves, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons, as it was said. Now, this is a little bit of Old Testament here, so let's not miss this. Normally, the purity sacrifice was a lamb or some uh, much larger animal, but God made uh, accommodation uh, for, for those who couldn't afford such an animal uh, to, to sacrifice two smaller animals. In fact, two turtle doves or two little pigeon things, two little, little bitty birds. So what then, if that's the case, what do we know about Mary and Joseph? They're, they're not rolling in it, Right? Their economics, if you will, are, are not great. Well, didn't the Magi show up and bring them gold and stuff? Magi probably came afterwards. That's, that's, that, God probably used their visit to fund their trip to Egypt. That's probably the timetable of how that worked. Instead, you find Mary and Joseph coming to the temple, bringing what they could in obedience to God to worship with their sacrifice. Now, let me ask you something. Do you ever come to church and you think, golly, I wish I could offer more than what I'm offering, you know, something, maybe I'm going to give more or pray more or read my Bible more or be more passionate in worship. But today, today, all I have to offer is this. That's all I got. Honest worship, folks, is so much better than pretentious worship. Honest worship that shows up and goes, hey, God, boy, I wish I had more to give to you, but what I have to give is this, and so this is what I'm giving. 
Mary and Joseph only had two turtle doves to give. They only had two little birds to give. It was the sacrifice of those who were, who were not as well off. And so they come to bring that, but they did bring that. Church family, listen, may we be the kind of people who, when we show up, we give what we can give because God's worthy of that. Some Sundays you'll come in here, heart is hot. Frank will hit that first note on the guitar and you'll be like, yes, let's go, people, let's go. Come on, you'll be bringing your whole row in. Come on, let's get to it. Sometimes you come in, God, I'm here because it's routine, and I know that my prayers have been bouncing off the ceiling all week. So here's what I'm giving you. I'm here. And I'll do my best to sing honestly, and I'll do my best to pray earnestly, but the, the thing that I'm giving today, the only thing that I can offer today is that I'm here. Great news. God didn't demand that Mary and Joseph offer a sacrifice they couldn't. But she didn't, he doesn't demand of us that we offer a sacrifice that we can't either. You bring to God what you can, you'll be surprised what he does with that and how honored he is by it. They worshiped him with this sacrifice in obedience. And then what did they receive? Because this rhythm of love is receiving, sacrificing, receiving, sacrificing. What did they receive? They received Simeon. Simeon just shows up. He walks into their party, if you will. Verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. He took him up in his arms. And Simeon is now the next group or the person that we want to look at in terms of this rhythm of love. Joseph and Mary, loved by God, chosen by God to do this. And then they express their love for God in obedience in return. Um, Simeon also uh, was a person who was affected by this rhythm of love of receiving and sacrificing. Simeon, what did he receive? He received God's promise. Look at verse 26. Uh, <clears throat> and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, this is a pretty incredible promise, right? Like Simeon's sitting there, and he's like, okay, God, here I am today. And God's like, hey, I got good news for you, Simeon. You're not going to die until all of those crazy uh, prophecies that I made about the Messiah, you're going to get to see them fulfilled. He's like, whoa. Uh -huh. That'll be pretty awesome. Maybe in his mind he was thinking, hey, listen, it'll be pretty great to see a king coming in to Jerusalem from the east gate, like riding on a horse. Or maybe it'll be some conquering warrior who just shows up and be like, Raw, here I am. It, do you think he anticipated what he got, though? You may think he anticipated what he got. I mean, he received this incredible promise, unbelievable promise. Hey, Simeon, all of these prophecies that have been said, you're going to get to see them fulfilled. All of this Old Testament history, you're going to see it come to its culmination. And Simeon's like, man, that's going to be awesome. I'm not sure how this is going to all work out. And certainly if I'm holding a baby, but he did, he did. He received God's promises. Now, here's the thing. He, it wasn't as if he received uh, the, the promise of God as a wish, right? Oh, well, I think God may be promising me to... No, no, he had a word. He says the Holy Spirit was upon him. He had revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he had done this. And then look down in verse 29. Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. God had given his word. So church family, let's just be clear. You and I have promises from God. And where are they found? In his word. Simeon wasn't making stuff up. 
He wasn't fancying something, wishing something, kind of dreaming something into existence. He was rooting himself in the Word. God had spoken to him by His Word. This was all happening according to God's Word. Listen, we have promises for you and for me. And they're found right here in the Scripture. And so we need to be people who open this thing up and who read it and ingest it and circle stuff and write stuff and mark stuff and underline stuff and, and live stuff and try to remember stuff and later in the day go back and look at it again and go, now what was that again? Let's be those kind of people who are rooted in this word because God has some incredible stuff for us in here. So in order to be receivers of God's promise, we need to be um, in his word. And then Simeon sacrificed. He, what was his sacrifice? Look back at verse 25. The rhythm of love is receiving and sacrificing. What was, he got caught up in this rhythm. Look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. And what's the next phrase? He was waiting. He was waiting. Sometimes the hardest part of discipleship is the waiting. Sometimes the hardest part of following Jesus is, is the waiting, because we see this promise out here, we see it out there, but we see that we're here. And so this waiting thing is not a great game. Uh, why, why is that? Because we're in a, we live, I mean, kind of culturally, we're kind of pressured to be fast about everything. We complain when the Wi-Fi is slow, right? I mean, if we, if we want some macaroni and cheese, used to, you had to put it in a pot, boil the water, that kind of stuff. Now you can take the little Cup, pre-made, put some water in it, throw in the microwave, two and a half minutes later, mac and cheese, which is great, by the way, when you've got a screaming toddler. Anybody with me on that? Yes, glory. Um, I, some people won't remember this. Used to, you had to pick up the phone and like... You know, you know what I mean? There are people, it wasn't touch tone, like... And so you had, to, like you had to do those kind of things. So in our society, we want it, we want it now. And here, here we've got this example in Simeon of a promise that's out there somewhere in the distance, somewhere in the future, a promise that is yet to be fulfilled. And so Simeon, you get the sense that he kind of shows up every day. He's like, okay, God, it's today the day. Here I am, I'm waiting. Here I am, I'm waiting. The sacrifice that he made was the waiting. Some of us are in positions where we sense that God has said something, promised something, uh, uh, is going to give us something, that kind of thing, but it feels like it's a little bit out there, but and we're right here, and the, the danger for us is to manufacture something that will substitute for that promise because we're tired of waiting. Instead, just wait. Wait, because God's going to bring it. He's sacrificing His way. As we wait, this is the greatest thing. As we wait, I, you know, it, it's hard to wait, but God always makes it worth it because somehow in this process of waiting, when something's out there and we're right here, somehow God takes, if you will, this kind of spiritual backhoe and he just begins to pull stuff out of us and pull stuff out of us as we're waiting. The process of waiting excavates, if you will, the soul, uh, I mean, our soul a little bit. Why? Because God's want to just rip stuff out of us? No, because he's creating a reservoir in us that will hold stuff that he wants to give us. 
He's making space in our lives to hold the things that he wants to bless us with, to hold the things that he wants to give us, to to be a part of the revelation that he wants to give us. He's creating, digging stuff out, pulling stuff out so that he can pour himself back in. That's why the process of waiting is so important and not manufacturing a substitute. He received God's promise. And then he sacrificed in his waiting. And then he received ultimately the Son of God into his arms and his heart just blew up with love. If you've held your baby, your kiddo in your arms, you can just, I mean, you know that feeling, right? Mom's in here, you know that feeling. Finally hold that kid in your arms. Dad's. Scared to drop, but you're like, oh, this is, wow, this is, Um, Simeon had that sense. He saw Jesus and he just took him up in his arms and received, if you will, the Son of God in his heart, exploded with love. And so he says, here, God, you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your will. you've done it. You've done everything that you said. He took him up in his arms, verse 28. He took him up in his arms and he blessed God. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your will. Simeon received his promise, sacrificed as he waited, and he received the Son of God into his arms. Okay, and so that's Joseph and Mary. That's Simeon. There's another player here. How about Jesus? How about Jesus? Jesus is in this story too, not just as a little baby, but as, an, uh, as the, the one who this whole thing is about. The whole, I mean, he's telling the story. This, this is the story of Jesus. And so what, what are we talking about in this rhythm of love? Jesus himself is caught up in this, in this rhythm. He received the plan to rescue people. This is what verse 30 says. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared. Simeon is singing this song, speaking about Jesus. My eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. In other words, Jesus is a part, uh, and, and you know, in the council of the Trinity somehow, Jesus is like, God, the Father's like, hey, hey, let's go rescue some people. And Jesus is like, I'm in. But count me in on that deal right there. There's a light for the Gentiles and glory for the people of Israel. He's bringing salvation to all people that he's prepared in the presence of all of this. So, I mean, he received the plan to rescue people. This is what Jesus has done. And he talked about it. He talks about it in the book of John, how he does this because he loves the Father and because the Father has loved him. And then secondly, he has sacrificed, sacrificed to rescue people. This is what verse 34 says. Look, and Simeon blessed him and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. Now, just to be clear here, normally we don't talk about fall and rising. What do we talk about? Rising and then falling. Everybody with me on that? Like the order seems backwards, doesn't it? Does that seem backwards? The fall and the rising versus the rising and the falling. So you got the the falling and then the rising, the going down, then coming up, the falling and then the rising. Is it making sense to anybody yet? Any, any, any bells going off in anybody's mind about going down and then getting up? 
falling and then the rising. It's predictive. It's, it's a predictive prophecy of the death of Jesus and the resurrection, this falling and then rising. And he goes on, uh, um, falling and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. What sign could be opposed? What sign could be a bad sign in first century Rome? Like a cross or something. Like that would be a really bad sign in first century Rome, wouldn't it? Falling and rising of many, and a sign that is opposed. And then he talks to Mary specifically. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, you know, as a mom having to see her son endure such things. He sacrificed to rescue people. Jesus receives this plan, and then he sacrifices. Um, whenever the New Testament uh, speaks about the love of God, oftentimes, if you'll just read a verse before, a verse after, sometimes two or three verses before or after, you'll find the love of God tied to the cross of Jesus. And so a couple of uh, verses here. The first one from Romans chapter 5, just to kind of prove the point. In Romans chapter 5, it says, <clears throat> but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So before you could do anything to impress God, what did he do? He sent Jesus to die for you. Before you could do uh, anything to earn or merit, what he sent Jesus to die for you. And this from 1 John chapter 4. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son uh, into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love. So be careful here. Like, don't, don't take on your own definition of love. Understand this. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but what? That God has loved us, that He loves us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is a big Bible word. Just hold on to it for a minute. It essentially means these two things, one kind of negative, if you will, and one positive, that God has paid off our debt that we owe to him because of our sin. And he then has also, in Jesus, not just paid our debt, but he has purchased favor for us. So we get both. We get the leveling of the field and favor. So we, it's not just the undoing of the bad, it's the doing of the good. It's both and. It's both and. That he has paid our debt and he has purchased favor. God uh, loves us and sent his son to be the payment that not only pays off our debt, but purchases favor for our sins. So you see, wherever the love of God is talked about, you've got this expression you got this expression of the cross of Jesus. And some people struggle with this, especially at times like uh, holidays like this, where there's, a, there's this, all the emotional stuff that goes with it. Maybe holidays aren't great for you because of family dynamics or, or things in the past or whatever. And inevitably, this question will come up, and people who uh, have to navigate those kind of waters, and other people do it at different times of year, does God really love me? Like, I could believe, maybe, just maybe, I could believe that God loves us, and I think about people, you know, people who sit on the front row at church, and I mean, like, God loves them, right? Because they sit on the front row. But I'm not sure that God loves me because of all my junk and all my baggage, all my problems, all my stuff, all this. God loves us, okay. God loves you, you. God loves you. I don't, I don't think he loves me. I'm not sure that he loves me, especially after I'm bringing him the same thing over and over and over again. I'm not sure he loves so, uh, anybody elf on the shelf people? Elf on the shelf people? Raise your hand real high if you're elf on the shelf people. Last night, elf in our house, appropriately named Buddy the elf, by the way, because we love the snowball fight. And now that my boys are older, they love the burp scene. Um, different story altogether. Um, 
Elf last night uh, took one of our pictures and did some artwork on it. Um, th this is just an example uh, of what he did. Uh, this is me and my kid, our very first Easter here. Isn't he cute? He's 14 now. Something other than cute. He's 14 he's now. Uh, this is me back when I had more hair and less glasses. Uh, but Elf uh, took a, he colored in a hat last night. I think there was a beard involved, and maybe a, a like a sack of gifts or something like that to you know kind of make it Christmassy. Uh, and the good news is about this right here is that what? Oh, it just wipes right off, right? I mean, gone, terrific. Um, I was really really glad that Elf didn't grab this because. We were really nervous right now. <laughs> because if this gets written on here, what, what happens? It's a permanent marker, right? I, I won't be able to see the picture without seeing the mark. I won't be able to see this without seeing that. There's a permanent addition, if you will, a permanent mark put on the bigger picture. And in the same way, if you're here today and you're struggling with the question, does God really love me? The cross of Jesus is this permanent marker point in history such that you can't see the bigger picture without also seeing the permanent marker that God has written into it. There's, there's, a, there's a thing, there's a, something that can't be erased, wiped away. There's, there's a, a point in history that God has declared one time for all time so that you and I forever have to see it. When we look at history, we forever have to see it. Hey, there, there's, there's the cross of Jesus, and what does the cross of Jesus say? It says, I love you. Not the you that you think you are. Not the you that you wish that you were. Not the you that you pretend to be. I love you. It is a permanent marker. It is a permanent fixture upon the landscape of history. Upon the picture of history. And God wants it such that you never look at the larger picture without seeing it also. He loves you. And that's why He sent Jesus show that love for you. He sacrificed to rescue people. And what did Jesus receive? Well, he received what he was due, and that is glory. Uh, if you will, just flip over quickly to Philippians chapter 2. Turn to the right to Philippians chapter 2. If you're not, just write down Philippians 2, and you can uh, uh, go look it up here in a minute. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 8. Philippians 2, verse 8, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. There's that sacrifice thing. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He received what he was due. That is a name that is above every name. He 
played his part in the plan to rescue. And he sacrificed as a part of that. And then he received the glory uh, that was due him. So the last person in the story is you. How do you then get caught up in this rhythm of receiving and sacrificing, of this love thing that, that God's laid out for us? How do you get caught up with that? Now, I'll just give you these things to think about. Number one, you can receive Him by faith. The only way to receive Him is by faith. You can't earn your way to Him. Uh, you can't make Him like you because you, know, you did your hair a certain way or caught up on the certain fashions or gave the most money or, or did the most stuff or whatever. I mean, you can't do it any other way. The only way to receive Him is by faith. So Romans 10 verse 9 says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe, there's that faith or believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The only way to be made right with God, the only way to experience this salvation that he has, to, to receive the love that he has for you is by faith. That's the only way. Secondly, when you do put your trust in Jesus, something happens. You, you want to respond to him and you give yourself as a living sacrifice. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says, I urge you, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You, when you receive him by faith, you will become a living sacrifice, Romans 12. And the last thing is that you will receive an incredible gift, and that is eternal life. You'll receive eternal life. You take him like Simeon did. You take Jesus up into your arms. He takes you into his arms, and you become a living sacrifice to him, and he gives you eternal life. So Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is what? It's eternal life. And if you're here this morning, and maybe that's not a part of your story, you've never received what Jesus has done for you by faith. You've never experienced, given your life to him, him give, he gives his life to you, and you take on eternal life. You've never received that. And today can be that day. Today can be that day. Here in just a moment, I'm going to offer a prayer, and I invite you to walk towards the back there um, and be happy to visit with you back there about what it means to, to know Jesus and follow Jesus and have eternal life. Or the little tear-off portion of your bulletin there, you can fill it out on the back there. It's a place for prayer requests and stuff. One of the little boxes says, I need to know more about what it means to become a Christian. If you're here today and that isn't a part of your story, man, that's a great way to respond. If you're here today and that is a part of your story, you are already a follower of Jesus. Let me just ask you this. When you receive him by faith, are you becoming a living sacrifice? Sacrifice means it costs you something. Are there people around you who need to know about this? Do you need to express that in some way? Give yourself in some way. Offer them. Be caught up in this and, and let them become a part of the story that God's telling in the world. Christmas is a great time to do that. Let me pray for us, then we'll respond.